Welcome to Swift Unwrapped, a show about Apple's programming language, Swift.org projects, and the community around them. Uh, my name is JP Samard. And I'm Jesse Squires. And today we want to talk about an exciting component that was added to Swift 4 called the Swift Migrator. Yeah, before we get started, we will go through uh, this new thing we're doing, the bug of the week or fix of the week. Um, or some interesting thing uh, happening on the, the mailing list today. I have uh, a pretty cool bug to discuss. It's SR4088. So, you know, it's one thing when you get an Xcode beta or you upgrade to the next uh, Xcode release uh, that may, maybe has a new uh, Swift version bundled with it and your code doesn't compile because of API or syntax changes or something, um, and you go fix those, and then you you can move on. But it's another thing when you open your project and you build, and then you segfault the compiler, and you haven't changed your code, and it worked before, and now the uh, compiler just crashes. Uh, so this happened to me with uh, a library that I have called Data Sources Kit. And uh, basically, it just it wraps up collection view and table view data sources on uh, iOS, uh, makes them a little more Swifty, and it's uh, an interesting uh, little library. Uh, I talked about it at Swift Summit, but in Xcode eight uh, three, uh, not quite a year ago, but a while back, Xcode eight three beta introduced this regression. So uh, all of a sudden, this library started segfaulting uh, the compiler. There's this error while emitting sil for a method uh, in a protocol. And so uh, I opened this bug on uh, bugs.swift.org, and uh, luckily by the time Xcode eight uh, was finished, uh, the bug was fixed by Slava. Thank you, Slava. But unfortunately, it regressed again in uh, Xcode 9 uh, beta 1. Uh, it looks like it has been fixed also by Slava again <laughs> for the second time. And hopefully that'll be in Xcode 9 beta 3. But it's interesting because this library makes pretty heavy use of generics. You can tell uh, when you're working on it that the compiler and type checker are under quite a bit of stress. Uh, you lose syntax highlighting and things. But the interesting thing here is that um, during... Xcode 8 and 8.3 beta, the source compatibility suite did not exist yet. Um, and so unfortunately, I didn't add this project to the source compatibility suite uh, in enough time before Xcode 9 uh, was released. Uh, but I have added that since. Um, and as soon as I did, it started failing in the, the Swift 4 compiler. Um, and immediately, Luke Larson uh, commented on this ticket to to note that there's a source compatibility regression, um, and then uh, they were there was a pull request like the next day to fix it. Um, so if you have a library that is valuable to you that you want to make sure doesn't regress, um, if it if it adds value to the uh, Swift source compatibility suite, then um, 
you should definitely try to add that and you can help prevent uh, future regressions like this. Yeah, definitely a great uh, use of the source compatibility suite. And really when this was fixed, a validation test was added as part of the PR that fixed this. And so we know that this kind of error won't happen again. So um, very important to file bugs. Uh, it's the only way that you can make sure that when things, even when things do get fixed, that they don't regress again. This is a perfect uh example of when things can regress multiple times, right? It first broke in an uh, Xcode 8.3 beta, then it was fixed, then it broke again in Xcode 9, then it was fixed. So the the fact that this won't happen again is only possible because it was reported like this, like Jesse did. So uh, everyone be like Jesse. <laughs> and really because of the source compatibility suite. Absolutely. Um, I think that is like such a great resource. Um, and this was on my list to add to the source compat suite for a while. Um, and, you know, this regression finally pushed me to take the, like, I don't know, five or 10 minutes to actually uh, do it and submit that PR. It was super easy. Um, so you should totally add your projects if you have open source projects to the Swift source compat suite. For sure. Now let's dive into our main topic, which is talking about the migrator. Um, the migrator was recently open sourced and it was completely rewritten for Swift 4. Now the migrator is uh, the component of Swift that will take a Swift project that you have written in an older version of the language and convert it to the latest version. And you've probably seen this if you've used older versions of Xcode and then opened your project in a newer version of Xcode. So say you had a project um, with Xcode 6, and then when Xcode 7 came out, you opened this this old project, and then it prompted you to migrate to Swift 2. Same thing going from the Xcode 7 to Xcode 8, Swift 2 to Swift 3 transition. You open the project, it says, well, we noticed that you're using an older Swift version. Can we rewrite your project for you? Now, previously, the migrator was A, closed source, mm -hmm. and B, written in the previous version of the Swift compiler. Um, so it needed to be written, say the Swift 2 to 3 converter, needed to be written in uh, against the Swift 2 compiler because it had to read and parse and understand Swift 2 code. And then from then, once it would do its analysis, it would then code gen out uh, the replacements that it needed to um, to match Swift 3 behavior. And this is tricky because you only have deep knowledge of one side of the transition. You don't really have deep knowledge of the target version language. Um, and so this is where this new compiler architecture, where the Swift 4 compiler has a Swift 3 mode within it, meaning that the Swift 4 compiler can not only understand Swift 4, but can also understand Swift 3 code, means that you can write a migrator that understands all of the steps of the process, both sides of the transition, meaning that it can analyze both the begin and after, and it can also make sure that the conversion worked. Um, so some awesome improvements there, and uh, and especially the fact that this has all been open sourced and has been landed in the main Swift repo is just awesome to see. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's really pretty straightforward. The readme here kind of gives this overview of how the migrator works. And it's basically just a pipeline built up of uh, these passes that it takes 
uh, over your code, uh, applying fixits and other things. And it works pretty much the way you would expect something like this to work. I mean, uh, it's very straightforward. Absolutely. It is actually not as complex as I would have expected it to be. Um, Looking at the Swift lib migrator directory, it is really just eight files of C++. Right. Now... um, And some giant JSON files. Lots of JSON. Now, one caveat to that is that, like many other components of uh, the Swift project, it makes heavy use of the entirety of the rest of the Swift project. Maybe not the entirety, but lots of other components that are in the Swift repo. And this is really a testament to the modularity of the uh, Swift project's architecture. And we've discussed this before as well, where, for example, SourceKit isn't this massive thing that um, like tries to completely re-implement parsing of Swift syntax and uh, resolving modules and things like that. It just makes use of the compiler and it forwards a a lot of its calls to other parts of the compiler, which means that their interfaces to the Swift world. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that sense, we'll often um, work with these interfaces like SourceKit, like the migrator. And if something goes wrong, we'll we'll feel like these tools have failed us when really um, they're really just the messenger. They're really just the the middle person. Now, that's not to say that they don't serve uh, a very useful purpose. Obviously, they they do. And in the case of the migrator, it's, uh, it's very important to help people update to the latest version. But they're really not, uh, in isolation, they're really not as complex as you might think. Uh, so in this case, we have eight files of C++, massive... JSON um, API uh, documents. Ma- yeah, mapping like the the API changes in iOS and macOS, like in the, in the all SDKs, the, in all the different yeah platforms. And really, when you, when you look at all the lines of code in in the C plus plus files and in these eight files, you're just at about fifteen hundred lines. Uh, most view controllers are bigger than that, so it's really <laughs> not that massive of a project. And if you end up using the the migrator yourself for one of your projects, and you find an edge case that doesn't work. I really do encourage you to take a look at this and see if you can fix it yourself in the migrator uh, so that everyone can benefit from that because it's really not that large of a scope of a project, even though it does call into hundreds of other parts of uh, of the repo. Yeah, the uh, tuple splat migrator pass, uh, or if you're Erica Sadoon, the tuple splat migrator pass file, only 190 lines. It's uh, pretty small. As opposed to this iOS JSON file, which is 14,000 lines. <laughs> yeah, a- according to the uh, CLOC utility, it looks like uh, with just five files of JSON, we're at 70,000 lines. So <laughs> nice. um, there's definitely a lot of JSON in there. I wonder how much that contributes to uh, the Git repo bloat <laughs> of the project just <laughs> right. single-handedly. Um, but yeah, very, very interesting stuff. And so... The way these, the way this pipeline works, is um, that there are really three categories of passes. There are the pre-fixit pass. Then there are several AST passes, and then finally there's a post-fixit pass. Uh, so we can start walking through these um, one by one to explain kind of how the whole thing works. Um, Jesse, do you understand what the pre-fixit pass 
does and and how we can explain it to our listeners? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. Yeah, I, I've I've been reading um, what this is here in in the README for the Migrator, and uh, from what I can tell, it, even though it's called the Prefixit Pass. I think a better term for it would be the fix-it pre-pass. Right. It does apply fix-its. This, right. this isn't the pass before it applies fix-its. It's the pass right. before the AST passes that applies fix-its in, in the Swift 3 compiler mode. Right. That's right. my understanding of it. Yes, that's how I read this. And it looks like it can run up to uh, two times. So you'll have like two passes of this before you get to the AST passes. Right. And... Um, the reason why this pass is run multiple times is that applying a fixit modifies your code and might produce a new fixit. Right. Right. So this is uh, <laughs> the canonical case of bug fix introducing another bug. Right. Um, Have you ever gotten into one of those uh, fixit loops yes. where it suggests like, oh, did you mean this? And you're like, okay, whatever, fix it. And then it's like, Oh, did you mean this? And it's the previous thing, and then you can just do that forever. You're in a fix-it cycle, yeah. and then you click the button like six times until you realize, oh, I'm just swapping between <laughs> the, the same two different right. representations. Yes. And neither of them make the compiler happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So actually, uh, <laughs> this document outlines what happens in this case, where if after running this prefixit pass up to two times, if the migrator still can't successfully type check your your Swift file and get an AST out of it, the pipeline just stops. And the rationale here, I guess, is to fail early. Um, if the migrator doesn't work for whatever reason for for a given source file, uh, if it can't type check, if it can't create the AST, it'll just stop right there. And I guess this probably um, saves quite a bit of headache uh, for the subsequent passes. And it can also inform the user that, hey, there's something with your project that's causing the migrator to not work. And these are really prime uh, use cases for fixing the migrator. If you can um, find one of these in your project uh, that that fails the migrator at one of these passes, it's a great way to contribute to to the Swift project is to try to see if you can if you can fix it yourself. Yeah. So then we get to the uh, kind of second phase here of the uh, migrator with the AST passes, um, and it looks like the first thing that is done here uh, is the the API diff pass. So all those enormous JSON files that we just mentioned, it reads those in and does this API diff across your project. Yeah, so this will this will ingest um, these JSON files, and it will um, go and apply the the diffs that are in there. And if we inspect one of these JSON files, like for example um, iOS.json, we'll see that it's an array of all of these diffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these diffs have a kind, right? And this basically drives or it instructs the migrator how to apply the diff, what kind of diff it is. So for example, sometimes it's literally just that um, a method was renamed or a type was renamed. Mm -hmm. But other times it's a little bit more complex than that where you'll have uh, like, for example, an overload that was added or you'll have um, 
a type member diff item, which is, um, I think, something that um, uh, well changed names. Okay, so that that looks like a rename, but sometimes you have a decomposition. So in Swift three, when certain um, certain types or certain declarations were uh, just a single string. Um, in Swift 4, some of those have actually been decomposed as members on a type, right? And so you often see these with uh, enum members. Right. Um, so all of these diffs describe how to apply um, the, the conversion from one to another, um, what the old name is, what the new name is, what the unique symbol resolution identifier is, USR. And this is useful if you want to disambiguate between um, a type or or, or a string that could actually resolve to multiple different declarations. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you have uh, a reference to print, well, maybe you mean the nsview.print or right. maybe you mean uh, the Swift free function print. And so the USR can can help uh, type check and resolve what um, all of the declarations in your file are to make sure that it's actually renaming not just everything that matches a certain string, but everything that actually matches the the right contextual um, type. Yeah. I'm just glad UIView doesn't have a print method. Oh, thankfully. <laughs> and this is why we're iOS developers. <laughs> right. uh, but yeah, these JSON files are actually very straightforward. Um, uh, in a lot of these cases, it's it's a rename of an API. Um how, however, the, the Objective-C API is imported into Swift to make that naming, uh, quote, more Swifty. Um, it, it's quite easy to read this, and it's honestly, it, you know, it's it, like the migrator, it's not really that magical of a thing. It's like very straightforward. Um, and this these JSON files really just kind of uh, map this out uh, pretty clearly. Uh, one thing I'm interested in, though, is how these are generated. I mean, surely someone is not writing uh, 14,000 lines of JSON. Yeah, I'd, I'd be very curious to know as well. Um, actually, uh, just because we were just talking about this, on the topic of the uh, nsview.print, yeah. um, I just found the, 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 the diff item in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in macOS.json, and it's a common diff item that, It'll only do this if what it finds is a function. Um, it'll rename it. And what it does, it'll match this USR. So it makes sure that it only does this for nsview.print uh, matching the, the the function signature. So it's really constraining what it will translate to make sure that it doesn't translate or convert things that, that aren't the nsview.print. Um, and then it has this left comment and a right comment, and and that's what does the conversion. So the left comment is print, and the right comment is print view. Mm. So it'll it'll convert this, and this is in AppKit. So it specifies the module to make sure that um, you know if for whatever reason we had another type in some other module that was called NSView that had a print method with the exact same signature, that it s- still only renamed uh, the one that. Um, the migrator is fully aware that it has a migration diff for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really seems like um, the the migrator is covering its bases here to make sure that it doesn't just do 
a dumb rename of all the strings that it finds that it thinks matches renamed uh, characters. Right. It'll actually really make sure, okay, well, is this a function? Is this on the right type? Is this in the right module? Um, does it match the right signature? Does it resolve to the same USR? So it seems like it's doing everything it can to be smart about this. I just realized that macOS JSON file is over a megabyte. Yeah, these these files really are massive. That's the uh, the next uh, pass after the API diff uh, is the tuple splat migrator pass or tuple if that's how you roll. Hmm. Um, this is from SC one ten that proposal uh, which changed this behavior a little bit. So basically, the way that an inary tuple was treated versus an argument or uh, versus a function within arguments uh, before you could uh, pass a tuple. These things were kind of interchangeable and it wasn't very explicit. There's a lot of implicit things happening. Everyone got angry with the uh, trailing closure syntax where you used to be able to decompose uh, an in tuple into in parameters uh, into that closure. Um, and then uh, what was the proposal that change that 150 something anyway then it was a the, single the tuple disambiguation right the right. the parameter disambiguation yeah uh, was proposal? it 110 well, there one, were there are two different there's one that became that came before 110 that's what it was that um it was a more it was a lower level change uh not very user yeah. facing i think it's that the use the tuple splat behavior was removed and that was se29 that's what it was. Where yeah. um, you used to be able to, say, pass in a tuple uh, to a function that took the same number of arguments. Right. And it would implicitly deconstruct that tuple and pass each of the members of the tuple as uh, the arguments to the function in order. Right. But one thing, and then I guess the thing that was left behind that 110 tried to clean up was that with... Uh, with closures, like trailing closures, that the previous behavior was preserved. So you could still have, um, like the tuple was decomposed into uh, uh, closure arguments instead. Right. So if you had a closure and the closure had, um, say, an input of two parameters, um, you could either mark your... um, input, you know, when you do curly curly brace um, var a in, mm-hmm. you could either have a single one or two of them, mm-hmm. right? So you could either do var a in and then var a would be the tuple that you passed in, or right. you could do var a comma var b in and then var a would be the first member, var b would be the second member, and etc. right? This works for n um, tuples. Uh, and then... Uh, the ergonomics of this were pretty poor, um, and so now this is being reverted to opt into the better developer experience, which is allowing the the, tu- the tuple splat uh, in this case. Yeah. Right? Um, now, I'm curious to see what will happen uh, with the migrator. They'll probably just remove this pass, but mm-hmm. one thing to keep in mind is that the migrator only migrates from Swift 3 to Swift 4. Um, which right. means that if you run this migrator and then a later version of Swift 4 uh, reverts SE 110, you can't <laughs> run the migrator again to, uh, uh, to automatically fix it for you. Um, and because the migrator 
currently still produces valid Swift 4 code even when uh, 110 will be reverted. It's not like your compiler will be fixed it because it's valid code. Right. Uh, so just keep keep that in mind. And really, in general, when you're migrating things, um, the migrator, and this has been the case in the past, who only really work from Swift version N minus one to Swift version N. Uh, and this is true today too. You can't convert from Swift two to Swift four. You have to go two to three using Xcode eight yeah. and then three to four using Xcode nine if you want to go two to four. Yeah. I mean, hopefully no one is still on Swift two at this point. I have projects that you know, just a few <laughs> weeks ago, I wanted to look at, oh, I never updated this for Xcode 8, and now I just basically gave up. Uh, um, yes. So those projects have been rotten forever. Uh, how sad. Quite. Yeah, so there's a handful of these um, special cased migrations. Uh, so the tuple splat was one. The type of renaming is also well, it's more more than a rename it's a redesign um also has a special case uh migration pass yeah and uh then the third and i guess final phase of uh, the migrator is the uh post fix it pass uh which is really like the final pass of fix fix it's suggested by the uh compiler that's right it's not yeah. the pass to run after fixits. <laughs> right. It's right. the the pass that applies the post fixits. Right. Yeah. I'm very confusing. Oh, we should submit PRs to this readme probably to, uh, yeah. to clarify Reading the passes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. First fix it pass and last fix it pass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um and what's interesting is that up until now we're all in Swift 3 mode. Right? So the prefix it pass applies fixits um as if you were running the Swift 3 compiler. And this is useful if, for example, uh, your Swift 3 code just had fixits that you just never applied. Mm-hmm. Or it's also useful if you're going from, say, um, uh, the Swift 3 compiler proper to the Swift 4 compiler in Swift 3 mode, which has some subtle differences and has different fixits to apply. So in the prefix it pass, we're in Swift 3 mode. In the AST passes, when we're doing all the API diff passes, when we're doing the tuple splat, the type of pass, we're still in Swift 3. We're mm-hmm. not in Swift 3 that would compile in Swift 3 because we've renamed some stuff and the SDKs are, or the, the things that we're targeting in the modules and the APIs uh, have aren't available in Swift 3. But mm-hmm. we don't have code that compiles in Swift 4 yet. That's what this last pass is for, the post-fixit pass. This essentially handles automating the fixits to convert the source file to Swift 4. So this is really where the the real language conversion is applied. Yeah. And interestingly, it's run uh, up to seven times, uh, which they note is a number tweaked based on historical observations. So my favorite line (laughs) in the whole readme. Yeah. Uh, so whatever that means, uh, no. So up to seven times, this is run, uh, again, like, like what you said before is because, uh, a applying to fix it may reveal additional fixits to apply. Right. So you got to fix your fixits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, um, really just covers all of the passes of uh, of the migrator. One neat thing about the way this has been built is that 
um, it's not a separate tool. It's built as part of the Swift compiler, which means that, um, well, one, it, it probably is the single most important reason why the migrator can be just 1,500 lines of C++ code. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, it also means that you can run this as part of a command line. Um, and that's actually how the migrator is tested, right? There's uh, We've talked before about the lit uh, testing tool that the Swift repo uses and how that basically runs command line commands and checks the output. And if you look at all of the tests for the migrator, you'll see great use cases of how you can actually run the migrator yourself from the command line, not just on Mac OS, but on any platform that uh, that Swift runs on, that the Swift compiler is available for. So if you wanted to migrate, say, a Linux-only Swift project from Swift 3 to Swift 4, that should be technically doable uh, with the way that this has been built. So very, very fun. I'm very happy that they've taken this architectural direction. Yeah, it's a really cool project. Uh, super glad to see it open sourced. And uh, I think that's all we have uh, for this episode. So again, you can find the show on Twitter, Swift underscore Unwrapped. Uh, you can find me at Jesse underscore Squires. And you can find me at SimJP. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.